What's the purpose of life? Why am I here? Well, if you've ever struggled with these questions, you're certainly not alone. I'm Steve Schwetz, welcoming you to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Today, our journey takes us deeper into the book of Ecclesiastes, where King Solomon looks for answers to these difficult questions and many more. Let's open to chapter 2, verse 11, and begin with prayer. Father, thank you that we can come to you with our deepest questions. Satisfy our hearts today with your truth because of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Ecclesiastes 2 on Through the Bible. Now, friends, I come back today to this second chapter, verse 11 of Ecclesiastes. We saw last time that Solomon gave himself over to pleasure, and he could say that whatever his eyes saw that he desired, that wasn't kept from him. He went after he got it. Uh, imagine being in a unique position like that, and you would think that a man like that would be happy. Well, I don't know why, but they're not. They've come to the same conclusion that Solomon did. When he tried everything in the way of pleasure, in verse 11 he says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Just think, this is the conclusion Solomon came to, and yet a great many people have to make the same experiment, only not near to the extent Solomon did, but they always come out at the same end of the horn. They come out and say, it was all vanity, empty, just empty nothing, just a big bunch of nothing. That's all that life proved to be. Now, in verse 12, through the remainder of this chapter, he moves into an area, and I do wish I had a better word for it, but I don't, and I call it materialism. We would say today that it's living for the now. This is the now generation. Now. And it's all right because... The Bible presents uh, now generation. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And so I think I belong to that now generation. But now this man, he tries out here materialism, living for the here and now, living for self, selfishness. All of these words describe a facet of this type of living and there are many like this. Now listen to him. Verse 12, Ecclesiastes 2. And I turn myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. And what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which hath been already done? In other words, no one could live it up more than Solomon did. And he said they'd have to repeat what he did, and they'd find it very monotonous. Verse 13, Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly, as far as light excelleth darkness. In other words, it's better to be wise than to be foolish. It's better to be a wise man than it is to be a fool. It's better to be an educated man than to be an ignorant man. Most people would accept that, I'm sure. And Solomon is saying that, but Notice the conclusion that he comes to. While the wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walketh in darkness. 
I used to hear it when I was in school. I've had my parents use it with me. I've had school teacher use your mind, use your head, use your eyes. And that's what Solomon is saying. Your wise man uses his eyes, uses his head. The fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that one event happeneth to them all. But it doesn't make any difference how smart you are. You don't really get too far away from the fool because both going to come out at the same place and they're going to carry your feet forward out and bury you in the ground or put you somewhere. You're both going to end up the same way. Then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? You'd think a smart fellow would find another way out. Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. Isn't it interesting that man, with all he knows today, and with all of the tremendous inventions that have come to pass, and even scientific Advances have been made in the realm of medicine, yet man today cannot extend human life very long. They say, my, the average life is up now another 10 years. 10 years? You want to put 10 years down by a 1,000, see how much you got? You want to put 10 years down by eternity and see what you have? 10 years. Well, you don't even have a minute on the clock of eternity. You don't have a second on that clock, my friend. The thing is that man really hasn't done very much for himself here on this earth. Not at all. Now, will you notice verse 16? For there's no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? (laughs) Same way. They die just the same way. You can't learn anything. I don't care how high your IQ is. I don't care how many Ph.D. degrees you have or Th.D. or any kind of a D degree. Why, it doesn't make any difference. My friend, you don't know anything that's going to really help you out when the time comes to die because you're going to go right out that door and there's nothing in the world that keep you from it. Now, listen to this man Solomon. Therefore, he says, I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Now, as we've said before, vanity here means that which is empty, meaningless, purposeless. He said, granted that I do all of this, what have you done? Take Thomas A. Edison. Thomas A. Edison Oh, how he worked in the laboratory and how many things he developed, especially electric light bulb, the Victrola, all of these recording instruments. They go back to Thomas A. Edison, a man that was a genius. But you know, he died just like anybody else. (laughs) He never found out anything, never really knew anything. And what good did it do him after all? This man says, I hated life. My life became an awful bore. And that's what it is for a great many people today. Because the work that's wrought under the sun, he says, it's grievous unto me. It became a great ordeal. We think of Thomas Edison again in the laboratory working day and night. That's not accurate. 
He couldn't sleep. He had insomnia of the worst kind. He had a little bed in this laboratory. You can see it down in Fort Myers, Florida. And if you're ever down there, you ought to go by there and take that trip. It's very much worthwhile of going through the Edison home and the laboratory that he had there. This man would just work a few hours at a time, day and night, purposeless, really. Oh, the things he tried to do that never did work out. Actually, you don't get the impression that there was a great thrill going on in his life. I take it that Thomas A. Edison found life very boring. I think you get that impression down there. Now listen to Solomon here in verse 18. Yea, I hated all my labor, which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. I've got to go off and leave all of this someday. Have you ever stopped to think about that? What good is it going to do you? And a great many people today wonder about leaving what they have. Worked all their lives to accumulate a little and then go off and maybe leave it to some godless relative or leave it to some godless son or daughter. And a great many say, well, I'm going to leave it to a Christian organization. Have you ever stopped to think how many of those Christian organizations have become apostate and they've departed from teaching the Word of God? Did you know that Mr. Harvard who founded Harvard University, was a fundamentalist just as much as you are, and he left his money to propagate the fundamental faith. (laughs) My friend, you wouldn't find fundamental faith in ten yards of Harvard today. The interesting thing is that's departed from the faith. And what he left came to naught. In fact, it's used for the very opposite. And a great many people today leave money to so-called fundamental organizations. How do you know that it will be carried on? And may I put in a plug, if you don't mind? We face that problem. And the point was, I didn't want to work hard and build up a radio program, then go off and turn it over to some fellow that would come along and say, well, you know, McGee was very much behind and We want to bring the program up to date, and we want to make it relevant to the time, and then start contradicting the things that I've taught. And we went back and have put a clause in the Constitution that this program operates under so that this program has to use my tapes long after I'm gone. And as long as there's money to carry on the program, you'll have to listen to my voice. But you're going to be sure one thing, you're going to hear the Word of God taught, best I know how to teach it. And that's the thing I was concerned about. And so today, you can be sure of one place you can leave your money, and if you're in agreement with what we preach and teach, that's going to continue. It has to continue. This place would go out of business, but it has to be used for this and for nothing else. May I say to you today, friends, this is a problem that a great many people face, and Solomon faced that. And then read his story, that son of his, that divided the kingdom. It was divided under him. He was responsible for it, and how tragic it was. Now will you notice, he goes on to say, he says in verse 19, "...who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool?" That is, a godly man or a godless man that'll take what you have made. "...yet shall he have rule over all my labor." wherein I've labored, 
and wherein I have showed myself wise under the sun. This is also vanity. Solomon said to work for it and then turn it over to someone that's a fool. He says it's a waste of time. Verse 20, Therefore I went about to cause my heart to despair of all the labor which I took under the sun. Anything you do under the sun. You see, this is the wisdom of the man under the sun. He's apart from God. This is not the man seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. This is under the sun, away from God. And pessimism is the outcome, always is. And it has to be here. And that's what it is. Verse 23, For all his days are sorrows, and his travail grief. Yea, his heart taketh not rest in the night. This is vanity. And Solomon found out something else. Didn't do you any good to worry about it, because there's nothing you can do about it, my friend. Couldn't think. I think you can today. Now, verse 24, There is nothing better for a man than that he should eat and drink, and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat, or who else can hasten hereunto more than I? For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he giveth travail to gather and to heap up, that he may give to him that is good before God. This also is vanity and vexation of spirit. If you are just living today, just for self, even if you are God's man, and if you're a sinner, living for self, it'll come to naught. It will finally be bitterness in your heart, and it'll be bitterness in your mouth even, and it'll be nothing in the world, but you'll hold just bitter dead leaves in your hands. That'll be life for you. Now we come to chapter 3, and when we come to chapter 3, we find that this man adopts a certain philosophy of life. And it's known as fatalism. This was common among the Greeks later on. It's been common among pagans. Buddhism is a fatalistic system. Platonism was. And we find that today that there are certain cults, I won't call them by name, that actually it's fatalism. You gather sometimes the impression that they have a glorious faith in God, but it's fatalism, actually, and not really faith in God. And we find now in chapter 3 that we have here this system, seeking satisfaction in fatalism. Now, if you want to see fatalism at work today, and I've seen this now several times, Friday afternoon, I now bring many conferences to a conclusion on Thursday night rather than go through Friday night since it's become what actually Saturday night used to be in my day as a boy. And I get on a plane in some city and I find myself on a plane that's almost totally 100% male. Who are they? Well, they are married men for the most part that are salesmen. Are they are representatives of certain companies in certain place. Their families live here in Southern California. And every Friday they get on a plane to come home. You look at those men there, most of them are tired. They show the effect of a week's work upon their faces. Many of them that are carrying briefcases will open them up. 
and begin to probably work out a final report to hand in at the office when they get in, if they get in in time, or they'll probably put it in the mail when they get home. And it'll be there for the president of the company to see on Monday. And there is, in that group, they take their drinks, they have their cocktails, they begin to laugh. It's the liquor that's laughing, of course. And you sense this. And every now and then, if I sit by one of them and there's an exchange of conversation, of viewpoints, I find out that they all have a fatalistic viewpoint of life. I came home on a plane that we went through some very rough weather. And the man next to me looked like he was not frightened at all. And I said to him, I said, you didn't seem to be frightened when we went through that bad weather. No, he says, no use being frightened. He says, what's going to be will be. You can't change it. And if it's time for your number to come up, it'll come up. So there's nothing you can do about it. And there he sat, gritted his teeth with a philosophy of life today that's very popular. It's called many things, but the name of it is fatalism, a fatalistic viewpoint of life. A great many people face life like that. They get bruised and hurt. They get in a bad spot, and they turn it off. And they turn life off by saying, well, this just is something that was coming. My number came up. Well, that's not the solution at all to the problems of life. Now, we're going to see that this man adopted that type of viewpoint, and it didn't work for Solomon. And by the way, it won't work for you either. We'll look at that next time. We'll hear more from Dr. McGee in just a moment. But first, I want to remind you about the many free Bible study helps that are available to you at ttb.org. From the notes and outlines Dr. McGee mentioned earlier to his sermons, study guides, booklets, and more. So I'd encourage you to visit us at ttb.org and check out the selection yourself. Or you can always download our app as well. Our notes and outlines are available there. Now, as we study the life of Solomon in Ecclesiastes, one booklet that I think you might be particularly interested in is Beloved, Love Lessons from the Song of Solomon. Again, all of our resources are available anytime at ttb.org. And of course, we'd love to hear how God encourages, challenges, and comforts you as we study his word together. Just send your note to Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. If you listen in Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1 is the address. Or you can leave us a message anytime by calling 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now here again is Dr. McGee to close our study. Now in preparation for dealing with this subject of fatalism next time, I want us to take another look at what we've just gone over. We've been dealing with pleasure and materialism. These are the two philosophies of the present hour that are very popular, hedonism and humanism. And they go together. They are linked together. They belong together. They seem to be married in this world today. They require a status symbol. You have to have the right kind of a car, a Cadillac, the big one. And you should have a home, a mansion, and certainly another home in some other place like Palm Springs or Florida or Hawaii 
may I say to you that the first one is pleasure. And we live in a computerized age that's living in a Silicon Valley. To flee from these machines and the mad human race, many turn to pleasure. And they find it in wine, women, and song. They want to drown out the tension, the terror, and the violence of our contemporary society. Now, humanism is actually the basic philosophy of the hour. Man is the measure of all things. This philosophy exalts man. It makes this world anthropocentric, that is, man-centered. Man is the measure of all things. The Bible is theocentric, God-centered. It's Christocentric, Christ-centered. And these are the things that men go after today. And you see, this humanism today is nothing in the world but a search for material possessions. And it's led to greed. It's led to selfishness. It's led to conceit. And it's led to a hopeless future. And it's led, actually, to fatalism. And Solomon says all of this is vanity, it's empty, it's boring. It's a philosophy that the Lord Jesus Christ had something to say about it over in the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew in verses 19 and 20. He said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. And I know a little something about that, because my home was broken into some time ago. And you hate to think of somebody coming into your home and going through your personal things and taking those objects that were of great value to you more from a sentimental viewpoint. But I learned through that that they didn't take a thing that I intended to take with me to heaven. After all, it was just things. And maybe they did teach me a lesson. And you remember Paul, he gathered religious assets, and he found out that they did not satisfy. He thought that He was gathering spiritual treasures, but they actually were not. And in Philippians 3, 4, he says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And again, he trusted in what he had done. He'd been circumcised. He belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee, and he persecuted the church, and that was a very religious thing to do. All of these were just religious assets, and they have no value. And then he found Christ, and he gave up all these other assets. All of these other things will drop into insignificance when we find Christ. And it's all right for a man to make money. Nothing wrong in that, but when that becomes his God and his object in life, it becomes absolutely wrong. And this type of philosophy has led many today into fatalism. We hear a great many today that are beginning to emphasize certain doctrines.
doctrines like the doctrine of election and things like that. And they have made it nothing in the world but fatalism, and it's not that at all. The Muslim faith, putting the emphasis on Allah and that type of thing, it means to grit your teeth and face life. It means to bite the bullet. It means to turn life off, whereas life is a great adventure. The Lord Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He is the answer to this materialistic philosophy of humanism and hedonism and a fatalism that is capturing so many young people today. Oh, that we might be brought back to the things that are spiritual and to seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. A Christian should be adventurous. He should be tremendously interested in life. He should be on the race course running for that prize which is Jesus Christ, that you and I today might be delivered from this present evil world. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. Jesus We're grateful for our committed listening family who faithfully pray and invest in Through the Bible as we together take the whole word to the whole world.